This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. You know, I just said to Tim, I'm looking at, uh, we've got a bunch of screens, TV screens up, different networks, and just different headlines when it comes to this Delta variant and the spread, you know, whether or not you've got the vaccine. It's very hard to make sense of what is the true story. It is. And I'm afraid, like Dr. Adalja told us earlier this week from Johns Hopkins, that there are there's not widespread agreement in the medical community with the way that the CDC has done an about face. No, and he was a lot more aggressive about, like, you don't need to wear your masks if you're vaccinated. And yet a colleague of his, who I also heard on Bloomberg this morning, Dr. Andy Pekosh, talked about, I'm wearing my mask. That just shows where the experts are right now. Exactly. A lot of confusion waiting for the data. Well, we have another expert for you, Dr. Ian Lospader. He's clinical professor of medicine at NYU Langone Medical Center. He is back with us on the phone from Long Island. Uh, Ian, nice to have you back with us. It is kind of a confusing time. We all felt so safe and secure having gotten our vaccine, and now it's we're trying to say, well, wait, I have to put my mask on. How do you explain it to patients who probably have a million questions for you? There, there are. Happy Friday, guys. Thanks for having me as usual. Yes, people are. Uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, turmoil in the air from uh, from uh, patients and, and just people out there. And uh, part of that is because we are seeing people who have been vaccinated coming down with uh, Delta. And uh, we do know from Israel, for example, that uh, a significant percent of, of patients who've been vaccinated uh, uh, twice with the Pfizer vaccine uh, have come down with uh, uh, the Delta infection. So clearly we are seeing that there's this breakthrough and that the vaccines, although very helpful, are not 100 percent. And that's really the same story with masks. Um, the reason there's a bit of a debate is because there are different kinds of masks. There are these surgical masks and, of course, the N95 masks, which seal very uh, close to the face. But a number of different studies do show that masks uh, seem to reduce uh, respiratory droplets. We think the way the uh, Delta and, and all viruses and bacteria, for that matter, uh, transmit are through respiratory droplets. When people cough or sneeze or talk, uh, there are these droplets that are caught by some masks, even cloth masks, um, although the viral particles themselves are very tiny and, you know, go right through any mask really other than an N95, and that's 95% uh, effective. So a lot of these studies show masks seem to block about 50 to 70% of these respiratory droplets, not 100%. It does seem to reduce the risk in that range of 50 to 70%. So they're not perfect, but they're really one arm of a prevention uh, and treatment uh, strategy. Uh, that's really why there have been debates. And uh, you know, the virus is accelerating. It's really uh, galloping faster than we can vaccinate people. And so. Are you seeing it in your hospital? Are you seeing it in your hospital? No. You know, oh, New York, okay. uh, we, we are seeing an increase. But really, uh, in the Northeast, 
uh, I think we're really very close to herd immunity. Uh, so I think we're not seeing that same volume. But what I am seeing are people who have been vaccinated coming down with uh, Delta. A small mm. percent, maybe 10 percent, is, is kind of in the range that we're seeing. Tends to be mild, upper respiratory, cough, sneezing, you know, sore throat. Um, but clearly, uh, the vaccines are not 100 percent. They're not. But what we do know is they prevent severe illness and they prevent death. Yes. And the vast majority of people who are hospitalized with COVID, with the Delta variant, the CDC has said 97 percent of those people are unvaccinated. I do wonder, though, about long COVID, Dr. Lusbader. Do we know anything about do we have any data about the way that people who have been vaccinated do end up getting infected with a breakthrough infection? It's perhaps not severe. Do we know anything about long COVID and to what extent they could suffer from it? Uh, Tim, those are all excellent points. So one point, you know, that you made is that the vaccines, despite some data about, um, you know, potential side effects, a a small number of of patients, we don't have really long-term data, but we certainly know that they are uh, really one of the most effective tools we have uh, since we don't have great antiviral treatment. The vaccines do seem to be very helpful in preventing severe disease. The vast majority of patients who are hospitalized hospitalized have not been vaccinated, which is another uh, uh, bit of data. You know, and long COVID is something that we worry about both in patients who've had it. It's estimated up to a third of people who've had COVID have ongoing symptoms, chest pain, cough, uh, uh, brain fog, fatigue. So, uh, that's a real problem, and we don't really know how that's going to play out over a longer period of time. We also don't have great treatment for long COVID or the, or, or the long haulers. There's some evidence that people who have had uh, or who have long COVID when they're vaccinated have some improvement in their symptoms, which we do see chronic infections, Epstein-Barr and other infections that really are chronic after the patient gets over the acute illness. That may be what we're seeing with long COVID. Charlie Pellet is sharing with me a story from our own Matthew Boyle uh, here on the Bloomberg. Walmart, the largest private employer in the USA, is requiring its headquarters and regional staff to be vaccinated by October 4th, joining Google in instituting a policy that other big companies may soon follow as the Delta variant continues to spread. This has been something we've been hearing debated about whether or not private employers should be forcing or, or requiring their teams and employees to get the vaccine. And if you don't, you don't have a job. And we're increasingly, Tim, seeing more of that happen. We're seeing it not just in the private sector, but we're also seeing it in the public sector as well with President Biden uh, making mm-hmm. a, a rules such as those. And then also here in New York City with Mayor de Blasio. Let's get right back to Dr. Ian Lusbader, clinical professor of medicine at NYU Langone's Medical Center. He joins us each and every Friday today. He's on the phone from Long Island. Dr. Lusbader, you probably heard Carol and I uh, talking about <laughs> this medication the FDA certified in 1996. It's called uh, I'm going to let you say ivermectin. Ivermectin. Oh, ivermectin. Yeah. Okay. Thank well, you. you right. know, we're not doctors. I, ivermectin. We're not doctors, okay. Carol. Okay. So it's okay. No. <laughs> uh, this is, this is uh, a, a medicine, though, that's right now controversial because the FDA has put out a special warning that you shouldn't use it to, to prevent or treat COVID-19. Bring us all up to speed on, on what's happening from the treatment front with this. So there was a recent article uh, op-ed in the Wall Street Journal uh, calling attention to ivermectin, which has been around uh, uh, for a number of years as an antiparasitic drug, certainly used in veterinary medicine as well. And it really highlights the need for us to 
hopefully do more than just vaccinate people, but have hopefully uh, treatment options. Um, there are a number of physicians, critical care physicians, that are very enthused about this medication, and it may have potential. Uh, what we're really lacking are large studies uh, that are unfortunately usually funded by drug companies who stand to make a lot of money from these things. And so we have a number of smaller studies from around the world. They've been put together in a meta-analysis, and there's some encouraging data on it. What we really need are controlled, randomized, double-blind controlled studies so that if this medication or other medications that uh, may work in a similar way uh, we really need data that would convince people and physicians to use it. At this point, uh, it's certainly, uh, if it is being used, it's being used off-label. Um, and I think this highlights that there may be other treatments out there that we do need to pursue. Uh, we do need more studies on this drug, and it may turn out to be very effective. It is used in other countries uh, and with some encouraging data, but that's that's really all I would say on that. And it's something we need to be aware of. It also highlights to me that we really need a coherent strategy. We need, when you go to other countries, you have to show a vaccination record or uh, antibody titers. You know, we need to have a little better control of our borders so that immigrants, legal, illegal, uh, southern border or travelers to our country have some documentation of vaccination or antibodies or vaccinate them before they come in. We need to have uh, our vaccines approved by the FDA. They're still under emergency use. Right. And I'm sure there's some hesitancy that people have because they're not FDA approved. The FDA needs to step on that. I've actually we heard people make- say that. It's emergency use authorization. When I get full FDA approval, I'll get the vaccine. Exactly, exactly. I think we need to make masks available. And if we really think masks are helpful, and we just went over the statistics that they can be helpful, let's give people the N95s, you know, mm-hmm. better quality masks if we're mm-hmm. in areas perhaps that have higher uh, uh, outbreaks. And we also need better treatments, not just monoclonal antibodies, which uh, are, are limited in number for drugs like ivermectin, right. which may or may not be effective. We need to look into that. Quick question. I think part of the problem with this whole process, to be fair, is that we hear one thing and then maybe a day later or a week later or two weeks later, we hear something that contradicts it. And I think the news that came out that uh, I think the CDC publishing, uh, I think they put the data out or are putting the data out today, that the concerns are that the Delta variant appears to spread as easily as chickenpox and cause more severe infection. I think the narrative around it has been that it's not more severe. So is this a reminder that there's still things we don't know, Dr. Lesbader? And so that's maybe explains some of the nervousness that's out there and just got about 30 seconds. Yes, 100%. Look, there's no question this is evolving. The virus is evolving. The good news is that the majority of older Americans are vaccinated. That should provide a lot of protection. We're talking 70, 80% of people over 60 have been vaccinated. It's all good news. Um, and I think that uh, the Delta virus certainly is far more infectious, but we are not seeing that it's more deadly. It's not killing mm-hmm. more people. The vast majority of people and young people who get this really have a bad cold. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to sort of calm down about everything, and I think we will come out in the end very well, but there's still more we could really do to to get a handle on this, and it's disappointing that we're not being more aggressive in all of these areas. Dr. Ian Lusbader, clinical professor of medicine at NYU Langone's Medical Center. He joins us on the phone from Long Island each and every Friday. Dr. Lusbader, thank you.
This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. Well, the new issue of Bloomberg Business Week magazine, it is out. It's online at Bloomberg.com slash Business Week, also on the Bloomberg Terminal. The cover, Move Fast and Obey the Party, China's Tech crack- Crackdown and the Making of a New Model. Let's get into the issue with Bloomberg Business Week editor Joel Weber on the Axis Line in Brooklyn. What a great cover story. So timely. There was more news, you know, today, Joel, about China increasingly the oversight of uh, some of its companies. Yeah, and I, I said it um, when we spoke about it earlier in the week, but I think increasingly this is like one of the most important business stories of the year. And we still don't really have a sense of like where 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 the football, where the goalpost <laughs> is going to end up on this, right? And I think that's yeah. the, the question on investors' mind is that, We've seen basically the upending of the old model and the semblance of a new one, but we still don't quite know what that's going to totally look like yet. But there is no doubt about it that China wants a different version of of of, of capitalism. Basically, you know, obviously this is that's a fraught word when we're talking about a communist country here. But like forever, they have been willing to let the West kind of you know kind of run the show, and now it seems like there's going to be a perimeter that the Chinese government isn't going to let their own their own businesses uh, exceed. Joel, as Carol mentioned, this is probably the timeliest story you could have on the cover right now. And I'm, you read through it and you realize, though, that it, it took a lot more than just a few days to actually for the for this to come together. Uh, talk about the timing of this, uh, how you decided on this to be the cover story and, and, and kind of like how long you guys were thinking about a story like this, given that it seems like this is the perfect story for the week. Well, look, like this theme has been one that's been percolating for a while. And I mean, it all originated back um, last year, actually, with with Jack Ma and his comments, basically, as um, as uh, as there was about to be an IPO. Right. And like as, as that ant group IPO happened and then uh, Chinese regulators basically intervened and, and, and you know, ended up. Um, uh, scuttling it, and we at that moment we knew that something big had happened, and this effectively are, are we're still in the re- uh, reverberations of that, mm. and mm. because of the DD um, uh, story, and then the the education story, like all of these things have been thematically linked. So when the Jack Ma thing happened, we obviously jumped all over it as a news organization because that was really significant. But then we kept thinking about it and talking about it internally. And so this was one of those ones that, you know, we had been working on it for, for weeks, really. And, and then you kind of just get lucky every once in a while where your reality catches up to your, to your curiosity, really. <laughs> and we were able to basically, you know, do, do some modest uh, updates right at, at the finish line. So we, we were, um, because... We work with great colleagues around the world. We were really able to think ahead on this one. All right. There's something in Pursuits, which is alcohol-infused ice cream, which I feel like after you read the story about the Amazon rainforest, (laughs) you need to go and have an ice cream cocktail because it is really sobering. Yeah, although that's not gonna that's not gonna solve the Amazon know, problem, but it'll at least maybe take your mind off of it for a little while. Um, yeah, it's a fun one. We, we you know the the art team does great art, and they showed me this photo a couple uh, weeks ago, and I said, you know, that is just the most glorious photo that I can imagine for summer. Let's just make sure that we give it as much real estate as we can give it. So we kind of held it for a second, and ends up being like the most perfect summer weekend to be thinking about um, booze infused 
ice cream and sort of some of the creations that you can go with it. And what I loved was like here in New York, you couldn't have done this um, that long ago. This is a new phenomenon that is just now gain the good graces, provided that you're of legal consumption age, of course. Exactly. All right. So talk about the Amazon rainforest story, though. I mean, that is... Oh, boy. It's heavy. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. It, to me, is um, it was just a slap across the face because you know, I think, inherently that deforestation is happening, that it's, that's a bad thing. It's a, bad with a capital B. Um, what you What I didn't appreciate is how the policies in Brazil are basically baked in by the government and they're, it's getting way worse and we're just seeing um, absolute devastation. And when you think about this tipping point that we talk about that in the article where the Amazon is about to become Savannah and that mm. it will contribute to global warming rather than what you just inherently think is that it you know goes the other way, that it's taking carbon out of the environment. The fact that it could become a contributing element Everything we know about climate change, you just sort of sit down and I think kind of have to put your head in your hands when you kind of realize that, you know, we're we're playing with games that are like wildly beyond our imaginations and things are starting to happen on, on um, levels that, you know, makes some of these reverberations just feel like they could get much worse yet. Yeah, and just a reminder that we're we're all connected, even if we're thousands of miles away. The role that the tr- Amazon has traditionally played has been one that really is, as, as we know, the lungs of the world. Uh, Joel, Robinhood IP, uh, started trading yesterday, uh, shares higher today, although it had a real lackluster day yesterday, shares higher by uh, just about 3, 3% right now, trading at 36 and 35 and change. Um, Annie Moss has a story in here about the IPO bringing the broker that wooed the masses full circle. Talks about the incredible growth that Robinhood saw, especially over the last 18 months. So we, um, you know, knew that uh, uh, Robinhood was going to IPO this week, and just wanted to kind of think ahead about how do we think back about what what Robinhood has changed, and that's really what Annie did in the story. I think it was a, a, a really good story in that you kind of forget sometimes that what Robinhood has accomplished here over the past decade is pretty remarkable. You know, one of the biggest changes is just everything got free, and once they made it free, it forced the whole ecosystem to more or less match their, that, that, that cost. And you know, that, that cost has been passed on to investors in other ways. Um, and then the other, you know, one of the other things that I thought was really interesting was this idea of fractional ownership, where mm-hmm. you don't have to go out and buy a, a share of anything for that whole dollar amount. If you only have a dollar, you can throw that dollar at an investment. And those are, you know, you can't underestimate how big of an influence that those ideas that came from Silicon Valley more than, than Wall Street probably have, have ended up having, I think, on the whole brokerage model and, and has contributed to things like the meme stock fevers that we've seen this year. It's a game changer. Hey, one last story we just want to highlight in the magazine. Starbucks, the new talent factory, uh, powering corporate America. Who knew? Just got about 30, 40 seconds here. Yeah, so we have a great little collection of talent-based stories in this because one of the things that, in general that we're seeing this year is this real race for talent. And we wanted to kind of dive into that. And there's a great story about GE hiring externally. They've long been known as a talent factory. Right. The Starbucks one I thought was really amazing. They, it turns out that corporate America knows all-stars come from Starbucks and basically raids Starbucks. And Starbucks is okay with that because those people go on and do other things and then kind of end up coming back to Starbucks mm-hmm. eventually. 
It's a, it's amazing. And also, I got, highly recommend, I know you pointed this out to us, uh, Joel, as well, uh, after you had done a spot with us, the remarks, what happens after Peak Everything by Regina Martin-Adams. We've been talking so much about peak growth. So it's a great issue, a great summer read. Check it out on newsstands, online at the Bloomberg, and you can also find it at Bloomberg.com slash businessweek. All right, Joel Weber, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. So top story this weekend on this Friday, the impact of rising COVID cases. Again, Charlie just mentioned that headline, more than 110,000 vaccine breakthrough cases identified in U.S. We've got a whole write through on the Bloomberg buyer Drew Armstrong and team. So check that out. Uh, there's also a story on the Bloomberg today, Tim, talking about the travel industry and how the travel rebound is hitting an air pocket as de- the Delta variant spreads. So Asia faltering, U.S. growth stalling, Europeans, though, seeing a comeback in terms of the travel industry. That seems to be taking hold a bit. Well, somebody who has his hand on the pulse of the travel industry is Axel Hefer, CEO of Trivago, joining us now on the phone from Germany. Axel, great to have you back with us. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. How are you? Uh, we're, we're good. We're good. We're watching the, the rise no, of the Delta we're, variant No, we're not here. good, okay. Axel. We're like freaking out, trying to understand <laughs> what the Delta variant, because it does feel like we're getting conflicting. Tim's too nice. I, I'll revise my statement. <laughs> we're freaking out, Axel. How do you make sense of wear masks, get a vaccine, get a vaccine, don't wear masks? Like uh, you run a company where you have to be making decisions. How do you see it? So um, it's a good question, and it's quite complicated. But what, what we are seeing right now in Europe um, are basically, I would say, two things. Um, one is that um, having a high level of, uh, of vaccinated people helps um, significantly to, to avoid severe cases, which is the, the key objective. Um, and the, the second thing um, that we are seeing is that uh, the Delta variant is much more contagious. And so... Even at this this point in the year, where last year infections were very low, the infections are surging. But so far, at least in uh, in the Netherlands, in the UK, uh, with very few really severe cases. So mixed, I would say. How quickly does headlines, uh, do headlines like this, do rising cases, how quickly do those manifest in changing the way that, that people are using Trivago? It's a global hotel and accommodation search platform. So how quickly do you see rising cases or declining cases in a place like the UK or, or, or parts of Europe. How does that manifest in itself into what happens on your platform? I mean, the, the, the key thing is not so much an, an increase in cases because, I mean, that, like heading into the autumn, everybody is expecting cases to increase again. We've seen it last year, and, and in a way, we, we are seeing it every winter with, with virus um, uh, hitting us. But the, the thing that is really hurting um, the interest to travel are travel restrictions. So, um, for example, Spain now being put on the um, high-risk um, list in Germany has an immediate impact because if you're traveling with um, unvaccinated children, you have to quarantine, which has a huge impact in particular for families. And these kind of travel restrictions are, are making travel a lot less predictable, which uh, is the key problem. Uh, from a travel industry perspective. So it's, it's, it's more about the restrictions, less about the way that, that people are emotionally digesting this information. Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, I mean, the, the vaccination levels are, are now quite high and uh, vaccine is, is widely available in Europe. So whoever is very concerned about um, catching the virus um, can get vaccinated. But um, there's no way around uh, travel restrictions, even if you are vaccinated 
and and uh, travel with your family. Hey, Axel, your earnings came out after the close last night. 2Q revenue beating estimates. Commentary included that you saw a strong recovery in travel demand in the second quarter. Uh, I, I am curious, too, about breakdown of leisure versus business. Business is still not back, correct? Absolutely. So so it's, it's very similar to, to what we've seen last year. There is a, a immediate surge in, in really leisure um, and and uh, beach and mountain destinations. So really the way to think about it is what, whatever, wherever you would go with your family, I mean, those destinations are very, very popular coming out of the lockdown, which is understandable. And uh, business travel is still very limited. Well, talk to us a little bit more about the trends within leisure, because I know we've talked with you in the past and that during the pandemic, we saw it play out here in the U.S. Either people went to remote places, went camping, went away from people, but they also had to travel local is that staying with us yeah i mean they're, they're still i mean local is very popular and the the local destinations that are yeah, within reach are um are booked booked out basically um but there is also a return to i mean, for the northern europeans to the southern european destinations um the weather is just much better to be honest and <laughs> we are now one and a half years in the pandemic again vaccine um, vaccines are widely available so it is less scary than, than a year ago, um, but uh, obviously it's, it's still not over yet. Axel, does business travel ever come back to what it was pre-pandemic? It's a, it, it, it's a, bi- a big question and a good question. So, so um, the way we are thinking about it is that there are basically two kinds of, of business trips. One is, is a relationship uh, a meeting and relationship trip, and the other one is more transactional. And um, the, the the relationship trips we think will will surge um, at at the right point in time because there's a huge backlog of important business partners that you haven't seen in a very long time, and relationships cannot really be built uh, the same way via video conference. On the transactional meetings, there most companies will will replace a certain percentage of those via video conference and. Just to give you give you a sense, I mean, internally, obviously, we are talking about the same thing and saying, okay, the, our key partners we we need to see once a year. But uh, before the crisis, I mean, we've seen them a couple of times a year, and we are now using video conference for the for the other meetings. That's fascinating, right? Because you guys are, you know, as you run your own company, what you're doing in terms of business travel. It's interesting you say that about the relationship trip. I get that. I, I mean, we are slowly having some people come in, but it's far and few between. They've got to get tested. But I recently had a meeting with the CEO and the press team, you know, his internal and external press team brought him here so I could meet him and talk with him because it was about the first time, you know, possibly getting an interview, but it was all about relationship building, Tim. And, and, that is so different than doing a call over Zoom, doing a call over Microsoft Teams, or doing a Skype. And I and I, I feel the same way with with colleagues returning to mm-hmm. the office because meeting. I mean, I've only worked here since October, and meeting people for the first time is a lot different than talking to them over uh, over a video conferencing system. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable. You've been here for eight months, and then people walk in the studio, and you're like, oh, I, great I to finally get to meet, meet you. you. Yeah. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. Still with us is Axel Hefer, CEO of Travago. Still with us on the phone from uh, Germany. Hey, Axel, what's cool about speaking with someone with 
you like you is that first of all you've got a global perspective and you're seeing a lot in terms of what has been an industry that has been so hard hit because of the pandemic so we're getting an idea of you know kind of what reopening looks like and where it's going but you also collect a lot of data and I do wonder about pricing of travel uh, and travel packages are there still a lot of deals being offered to incent people to actually take a trip what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so so um, so money is currently not the key concern. I mean, they, so when you when the markets opened up, the key concern of, of almost everybody, I would say, was to to get out and uh, and to have a nice time and and to get to a nice destination. So the um, the top destinations are were fully booked um, very quickly. Uh, on the other hand, if you're um, if you are if you are basically anticyclical in your behavior, and uh, if you are now going for city trips, you can get very good deals because the, the key cities and uh, business destinations are still completely underutilized and um, occupancy is low. So it's a bit mixed depending on what you're looking for. Um, uh, so there's no consistent picture. So you mentioned uh, destinations, top destinations booked pretty quickly. What are the top destinations? Where is everybody going right now? So it's really going going to the beach and to the top mountain destinations. Um, so if you just take Germany as an example, the the German coast is, is pretty much fully booked uh, as it was last year, um, and then uh, close by destinations like Netherlands again at the coast or the mountains, Austria or also in southern Germany are pretty much fully booked. Whereas if you are going to Berlin, um, a lot of the international and in particular um, uh, long-haul um, uh, tourists are not in town. Uh, very few business travelers are there. So a lot of very nice hotels um, have, have pretty attractive deals there. You wrote in your earnings report that you expect revenues to be concentrated in the summer months in 2021, even more so than was the case in years prior to the pandemic. What's a realistic way for investors in Trivago to, to think about a full recovery for your company? What would have to happen and what would a timeline for that look like? I, I think it will just take time, to be honest, yeah, because the, the pandemic is, is not over at a certain point in time, but it's more going in waves and we are seeing an upward trajectory. So it's getting oh, it got a lot better now in summer, um, like last year. And it's, it's almost certain that it will get, get worse over, over the winter. And then in spring, it will get better again. Um, but with every wave, we learn better how to deal with the pandemic. Um, medication is getting better. A number of vaccinated people is hopefully um, continuing to increase. Um, and so in a way, the, um, the impact of the virus will, will diminish over time. Um, but uh, it will take some time for things to, to 100% normalize because, let's be honest, we've got a Delta variant right now, but as long as yeah. they are hundreds of millions and billions of people on our planet unvaccinated, it is guaranteed that there will be new variants. So um, it, 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 will, it will take some time uh, and, and will, you have to be a bit patient uh, if you're in trouble. But on the other hand, um, it's, uh, it, the industry is on an upward trajectory and um, it's, uh, it's also exciting and opens up a lot of opportunities if you are in, a, in an industry that is that volatile um, and is also changing. Now, I know it's later there in Germany, you sound pretty tired, though. <laughs> no, earnings, earnings. And tell us, I know you had earnings, that's right, Tim, good point. But, but when we talk about it, too, it's been very dense, and the amount of headlines coming at us, a lot of, a lot of movement in our world, and still a fair amount of uncertainty. 
How do you see the outlook? What, how, what do you feel comfortable kind of committing to when it comes to the next six to 12 months? Uh, so, um, see, I, mean, I told you, not, you not, seem tired. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's not entirely up to me, but, but basically what, what we are saying internally is we need, we need to stay optimistic and focus on the positives. And the summer was now very, very positive. Um, and even with the, with the autumn getting, getting a bit worse, um, it is important to then, then focus on next summer and, and focus on, um, on the opportunities that are arising. And, and, and one thing that, that I think we talked about before is mm-hmm. we, we launched a new local travel product. That is an opportunity. Yeah? So there is more demand for local travel. So um, all of us need to stay positive and really focus, focus on the positives and the opportunities. It's very easy to be carried away by... Um, yeah, a lot of the, the frustrating things that, that we are all facing and have been facing now for quite a while. Yeah, I know that's a good point. And, and, and I think people are really finding travel as a way to just kind of boost their energy and, and feel more normal. Hey, just got about 30, 40 seconds. Workers, you guys have a global workforce. Are you finding workers that you need? Are you adding enough? Are you, are you adding any? Give me an idea of what you're doing with your, your workforce. Yeah, so there. I mean, we've we've always been global, but mm-hmm. uh, but running the business um, from one location, so just in Germany. So we've we've even before the pandemic had seventy percent of our colleagues coming from abroad, and we continue to do that. But but you're right. Um, depending on on where uh, new colleagues are coming from, sometimes they have to start to work actually from abroad because the immigration process takes longer. Um, if you're in a, in a lockdown situation, you can't go as easily to the embassy, etc. So. In a way, I think to, to simplify, everything is more complicated and will stay more complicated. But mm. um, again, the, that it, it is the way it is, and, and uh, we just need to, to deal with it. Well, always great to hear your voice, and I hope you get uh, some time off as well this summer. And let's hope that uh, in terms of travel and reopenings, it all continues. Axel Hefer, Chief Executive Officer of Travago, a really go-to voice for us throughout the pandemic when it comes to the travel industry with us from Germany. All dependent on the pandemic recovery, saying yeah. that it's not going to just be gone, right? Coming in waves. That's what we see. Exactly. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week on Bloomberg Radio. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I wanna drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. What a week. Uh, and we are wrapping up the month of July. It's not over yet, Carol. Okay? <laughs> Come on. We have about 10 and a half minutes left in today's <laughs> trading session, but we are getting ready to wrap up quite a trading week quite a trading month. Stocks are definitely off their highs and lows of the day as Charlie just breaking down those numbers. So let's get to it. Uh, The drive to the close with Jay Hatfield. He's CEO and founder of Infrastructure Capital Advisors, the InfraCap Active MLP ETF. It invests in master limited partnerships, is up about 54% so far year to date. He joins us on the phone in New York City. Hey, Jay, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me on, Carol. Yeah. Well, great to have you on. Uh, we're kind of tired. It's been a really <laughs> dense week and what's been a dense month and what's been a, already a dense year. H- how do you see kind of where we are in the market cycle, the economic cycle? Well, we think it's, it's a um, riskier time to invest. We've been extremely bullish since March of last year when the Fed intervened. Mm-hmm. 
So we are saying is follow the Fed, not don't fight it, but follow it. And if you normally, if you do that, you're, you'll be successful. But so now it's much more dicey because we believe the Fed will have to taper. And specifically, uh, you can't, uh, the um, quantity theory of uh, money does, is operative at the extreme. In other words, if you increase the monetary base or, or money by 100% a year, eventually you're going to have inflation at 100, and we've seen that in developing countries like Lebanon. Mm. <clears throat> but the U.S. has increased the monetary base by 25%. So we believe that inflation could be transitory, but only if the Fed stops increasing the monetary base at that rate. So you're going to see eventually the Fed take the punch bowl away. That's more likely to happen next year. And then also next year is uh, going to be a big deceleration. Are you, are you in, talking um, asset inflation? Overall, uh, well, and and also price inflation. Eventually, you are. okay, yeah. Eventually, the the normal cycle which we saw in 0708 is you just had asset inflation, and then the Fed tapered, and also, of course, it was a horrible, almost a depression, worst recession since uh, World War II. <clears throat> but they did taper. My only point is that now that we're in full recovery, they haven't even started tapering, and this QE is much larger than the last QE. So eventually. The asset inflation <laughs> leads to uh, real inflation, which is what we think we see now. And some of it's transitory, but if you keep increasing the money supply by 25%, eventually you'll get double-digit inflation. Otherwise, every country in the world would do that because it's a great business. You issue currency and get back <laughs> you know, real goods. So there is a limit to it. Obviously, U.S. can get so- away with it more than Lebanon can. But so the Fed is going to have to taper at some point. Even they are saying that now. So Jay, where so, do you see? Where do you see? Where, where are you going to see this in the data? Where which prices are you going to see increase like that? And, and at, at that point, what do you do? Well, I think that that you know every that's a good point. Like every CPI report is a potential negative catalyst. But of course, the Fed is saying that it's transitory and that they're going to hold off. So the real issue, we're really more neutral on the market. Because you do have this $120 billion of liquidity to be injected every month. It has to go somewhere. So we're more range-bound in the market. So, yes, you know, CPR will probably print hot. Market will get a little weak. But then there's so much liquidity, you get bid, just like we saw when we went down to the 50-day moving average. That lasted all of, you know, one night. And then we were uh, stabilized. So it's not like we're saying go sell everything. We're really saying... It's a good time to be defensive, get into equity income securities, and maybe not, you know, be gambling on on um, the latest fad, whether it be Bitcoin or meme stocks or or potentially overvalued tech stocks. Bond market, though, it's an it's been an interesting trade where we've often seen both bonds and stocks go up in tandem, and rates are still incredibly low uh, all along the yield curve, and so. We've seen the bond market tell us a different story when they don't buy what the Fed is saying or buy what the economic data points are saying. So what's your take on where the bond market is? Well, what you saw was in mid-May, and it gets back to Tim's question about what are the inflection points. So in mid-May, you got the April CPI, and then there would start a commencement of discussion of taper, and you saw the inflation-implied uh, uh, you know, in the bond market between tips, the, the gap between tips and, and treasuries, 
and the 10-year declined by 30 basis points. Well, that was roughly how much um, Treasuries declined. So we do think that the market, maybe more the bond market than the stock market, is pricing in stagflation next year. Because mm-hmm. it's important to realize this isn't sort of a, you know, a crazy forecast of ours. <laughs> There's going to be, we're forecasting $800 billion of fiscal uh, deceleration. You know, $30 billion, $300 billion from taxes and 500 from spending. Because you just can't replicate the stimulus that occurred, um, you know, with the $3 trillion of stimulus that occurred at the beginning of this year. That's just it's not going to happen next year. There's going to be a lot of spending, but not that kind of spending. So stagflation is by far the most likely case. And we think the bond market is pricing that in maybe a little bit earlier than the stock market. And so that's why we're a little bit cautious about the stock market and think that, you know, securities like preferred stock that are senior to common give you uh, some income are probably a better way to play over the next uh, three or, you know, during the fall, which is usually a very volatile time. Right. Uh, uh, so, and if you, you know, the great thing about income security is that even if you miss a little rally in tech stocks or recovery inflation stocks, you still get paid to wait. They're great companies like utilities or preferred of utilities, uh, REITs, and, um, you know, consumer staples. So it's not like you're going to it's a tragedy if you miss out on a little bit of rally in the tech sector. Well, let's talk a little bit about the tech sector because you did describe uh, tech companies as being overvalued. Amazon down 7.5% after a miss on revenue and then the guidance really spooking investors. Um, what what stocks specifically do you think are overvalued and when would you buy into those? <clears throat> well, I w- I'm not going to get into all the names, but clearly the companies, the big tech actually is acting more defensive than than um, you know any other asset class really, but we're really talking about the uh, tech stocks that rely on forecasts of earnings five or six or seven years out, and, and those are the ones that tend to do um, the you know the poorest during any you know downturns. So that's kind of what we're referring to. Not really the mega caps. I mean, arguably, Amazon was just a little bit of ahead of itself. And really, if you dig into the announcement, I mean, their core kind of secret sauce businesses that have the biggest margins mm-hmm. are actually growing very fast. So I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, it's kind of finding some support here that it doesn't bounce back going yeah. forward. So and it's come a long way. So. And look what happened last year to <laughs> Amazon. All, I mean, it had, right. expectations were high. It's all perspective. Right. Hey, we got to run. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Jay Hatfield, he's chief executive officer. He is also founder of Infrastructure Capital Advisors as InfraCap Active MLP ETF, as I mentioned, up 54% so far uh, this year. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.